Welcome back to Inside Whitehall with me, James Starkey. And me, Jonathan Gullis. So this is part two of Becoming an MP, where we're looking at your journey, Jonathan, to become an MP, as you are today. Uh, we've kind of covered in part one those early stages when you're... The get- journey. The journey, which is the title of your first co- forthcoming biography when you run for leader. <laughs> so we've, co- we've covered the- that first part when you eventually get to run in Bush of Auckland uh, in 17, the, gr- the great election success that that was for the Conservative Party. and No comment. No comment. And we're now on to the bit where you're actually going to become an MP. So you've finished 17, you've had a run, you've taken five weeks unpaid off work, but you know what it looks like now. You yeah. know what? You, yeah, you know, you know what it's like. Um, you have a review at the end where you're meant to be re-interviewed, essentially, to see if you worked hard enough and you should be kept on the list. I was lucky. I'd met Guy Loads. He gave me a rave review. In fact, George Hollingbury, who I think was the PPS of Theresa May at the time, gave me a call to say, your work's been noticed. I know Nadine was happy because having told me if I uh, F this up, uh, he'd uh, he'd make me pay for it, um, which I didn't do. And then obviously I, I actually got a letter through saying, we've had such good reviews that we don't need to re-interview, which put you straight onto the, the full list. So I'm now able to apply for any seat that I want to. In the country. So you know, I've got, you've got a real shot now of getting a seat where you can become an MP. This is the first time I really think, oh, I actually need to... My this Chasing this dream is now the most important thing in terms of mapping out the next five years of my life. So is it... I've spoken to a couple of other people that are, that are hoping to run in the next election. So you're more in a stage rather than kind of taking what's on offer, if that, that might be a bit unfair, but taking what's on offer, as you did with Washington, you're more in a stage where you're like, where do I want to run? What, one MP once said to me, they were, they were rejected for a seat that was quite a safe seat. And they said to me, in hindsight, I was glad because it wasn't the right seat for me. And the seat that I was selected for was the perfect seat for me. It fitted my personality. You know, I got, got on with Do you know people. what's amazing? Every MP I spoke to says, the seat chooses you. And I was like, yeah, mate, you're just saying that because you're in a 20,000 majority. Like, of course the seat chooses you. Mm. It, it couldn't be It couldn't be more true. So, so you've now got to look and like, where, where, what's the right fit for me? So how do you do that? So I basically started to think, right, I'm probably not the type of person to walk into a safe seat and just get selected preconceptions about whether or not you have the right contacts, whether you have enough money or donors behind you, whether you're not someone that CCHQ is pushing, all this stuff's in your head. So I just thought, right, I'm going to be looking at marginal target seats. So I start Googling every seat in England uh, that is a marginal and literally look at them. I go to Wikipedia, I must confess, I do go to Wikipedia to look at the election results. You deny it's a, a port of call for MPs, <laughs> but it does keep cropping up. It does keep popping up, but it does. it's very good when they have the seats history and they have every election result. So it's a nice, quick, easy graphic it is to a see. Use, it is a useful resource for that. So I, um, I looked at seats around. I looked at seats that have been moving towards the Conservatives from every election since '97. Now, not everyone did, but I made a note of from which elections the majority came down election after election. I also looked at the Leave vote. I was a Leaver. We're in a Brexit world then as well. We're in a Brexit world. I'm I'm a Leaver myself, and I just know I cannot be in a Remain seat. I just wouldn't be able to deal with it. I suppose I also looked at, like, the issues in the seat. Like, I'm a bit of a scrappy fighter, I suppose. And, like, does a seat need someone to be a scrappy fighter? Or does it need to be some great statesman orator, I suppose, the alternative that some people might throw in my direction? So I made a list of 10 seats. And I 
I know people go, oh, of course you're saying this. Stoke-on-Trent North was top of my list. And that's because I was told about this amazing group of campaigners, young campaigners, by Bobby Alden, leader of uh, the Conservative group on Birmingham City Council, that there's this amazing effort going on in Stoke-on-Trent. They've just gained, they've got five councillors, or two, uh, sorry, seven councillors, I think it was at the time, um, going and campaign with them. So I drove up to Stoke from Stratford at weekends uh, from November 2018 and had a great time. I was involved in the entire local election campaign. In fact, when I was asked to go and help Redditch, I asked CCHQ, could I please be assigned Stoke-on-Trent? I wanted to go there deliberately because I wanted to build relationships, get to know the area and had an amazing time in, uh, in the locals. In I remember May 2019, getting the results at 7am finally and we went from 7 to 15 councillors. Despite that May 2019 election, as you all know, James, was not very good for not the Conservatives, but Stoke Conservatives actually bucked the trend on that one. However, sorry, I digress on that. Um, yeah, I've Stoke, but I've got other seats. Ashfield was on my list, where Lee Anderson is now, Birmingham Northfield, uh, where Gary Sandbrook is. I actually was interviewed for Birmingham Northfield because when I applied for Stoke North, I also applied for Birmingham Northfield the same day and Ashfield because they were, they sent you in a tranche, a list of seats and you all apply. You could apply for all of them or one of them is up to you. You have to fill in a CV a two-sided A4 max, so everyone plays with the margins of what they can do to fit all the words they can do and uh, you have to outline. And then that's and that CV is the only thing the selection committee will see unless they already know you. Mm. And then if you do go to the membership, that's the only thing the members can have is on the day. You are not allowed to contact members in advance or lobby members. The only thing they get to read about you is the CV that they are given on the day they arrive to elect who is going to be the candidate for their seat. And give us an idea. So different seats will have, for both parties, depending on how strong they are locally, different numbers of members in that area because members will be, will be a member of an area. So what's your average... Well, or give us a, a strong Tory yeah, seat yeah. will have how many members? So Stratford-Laven had about three to 400 members. Yeah. So you'd get at least 100 to 200 turn up for a, a selection. Yeah. In Birmingham-Norfield, there was 30. Gary Sambrook won so convincingly that vote. That's his area, though. That is his area, but <laughs> I remember the result. It was quite funny watching the votes being counted. Um, and Stoke-on-Trent. Well, there was, I think, 40 members in Stoke-on-Trent North. And we were told when we were... There's three of us because you get down to the final three, we're in the back room of this church hall and you're told you're going to make a 15-minute speech maximum and then there's a 35 minute, 30 to 45-minute Q&A and then you sit in the back of the room. Everyone does the same thing and then and then there's a vote at the end of it. How many had you been for before you, we've got to the Stoke So I've done, the, I've done Birmingham Northfield. I did obviously the Walsall South in 2017 where I wasn't even allowed to talk yeah. and uh, Birmingham Northfield was the only other one. So this is my second real go at it. So, so I was absolutely... But Stoke was your number one target at the time. I was bricking it because I'd spent so much time campaigning there, got to know them, fell in love with the city, just absolutely fell in love with it. I was, I was obsessed that had to be the seat. Obviously, tick the boxes, 73% leave seat. Since 97, the Conservatives had gained in every election. Um, and it was an area that I just felt needed someone to just shout about it and really go for it I mean, down in Westminster and uh, tell everyone how great it is. And what I loved about it is people just say what they think. And you know this, James, as a leak lad, mm. someone whose dad's Stoke-on-Trent born and bred, you know up there. There's no mincing words. If they, They'll tell you what they what they think, whether Very you want direct. to hear it or not. If Whether you want to hear it or not is another thing, but they'll tell you what they think. Very true. And I, uh, and that's why I loved, because that's how I am. That's how my granddad brought me up with my mum and my dad. So it fits my personality. So we, we're in the back of this church hall and we get told, we're changing the format because there's nine members. 
Right. And uh, so what we're going to do is, rather than have you stand on the stage and speak in a hall, because that would look weird, we've put tables together and we've got the cake and the the tea on the table and some sandwiches and we're going to treat it like a, a chat. So I'm desperately trying to figure out how to turn this chat as on my speech into what would be a normal everyday conversation. You, you've got a kind of 15 minute speech. I've got, or something. I've got a, it was, I think it was eight minutes, eight and, minutes and I'd rehearsed it to the T and I knew exactly what I was going to extenuate, punctuate here, there and everywhere. And now I was trying to figure out how to make it sound like this is the type of thing I normally say. Around every, this is what I say around a coffee table all the time. Um, do you remember any of it? <laughs> no, I can't. I'm sure I can dig out the actual, if I find the transcript, We'll share it on Twitter. If I can find the transcript, we'll share but it. But it's kind of like, my name is Jonathan Gullis. I've been a teacher. No, it's not that tragic. It's uh, you, you go into like why the seat's right, you know, why this seat. And then, yeah, like what will you bring to the table? Then there was the Q&A and there's the big debate in your head now. Do I have a piece of cake? Does it look rude if I don't? But then does it look greedy and overly confident if I but do? You want, but you also want the cake. And I'm also starving because I'm currently allowed to eat breakfast and there's this Victoria sponge sitting on that table. I'm just like, Victoria sponge. it looked amazing. But so I had a tea and I had like a biscuit, a bourbon. Did you have any cake? I didn't go for the cake. You didn't have I cake. had cake afterwards though. Okay. Um, and that's because James, obviously I got selected. Um, so yeah, do your spiel, do the questions. Questions are things like, the most standard question, and you know this, is like, you're an outsider. How are you going to get to know the area? Are you committed to the area by A, are you going to move here? And if you are, when are you going to move here? And that was something I said, well, look, I'm living home with mum and dad. I'm ready to, I'll rent. If you tell me today, I'll literally be tomorrow, start searching on right move for something, and which I did do and moved. So when I was selected in the end of June, early July, I moved within a month. I, I got a, a flat in Burslem, uh, on Bur- Park Estate in Burslem. So yeah, no. And then you get other questions like, how much campaigning are you going to do? How are you going to build more membership? What are the issues that you think are important? What's, uh, you know, versus what actually, you know, some of these are counsellors versus what they actually know the issues are. So they're trying to see, have you done your research? So you do your spiel. And you've been on Wikipedia, so you were fine. I hadn't been on Wikipedia. I had met with the leader of the council, Abby Brown, great woman, uh, for a coffee at Starbucks uh, at the Wolstanton Retail Park. And we'd had a uh, chat about that. I'd been out on the local election campaign since November 18th. So I was hoovering up knowledge all the time about local issues. And uh, and I did Google, but uh, the Stoke Sentinel is what I was searching for to see what the great issues newspaper. were. Uh, it is a great newspaper. Uh, a, a joint friend of ours, obviously, was the Leaked Times, wasn't he? Or the, the, he was. He didn't quite make he it. He didn't make the we Stoke Sentinel. Him, but he, he didn't quite make it onto he wasn't, the Sentinel. He didn't quite make it onto the Sentinel. And leaked Post, I think. It the Leaked Post. And then so I was in the back of the room. They, they come in. They say, we've had the vote. And... They say, Jonathan, your congratulations. You've been selected as the parliamentary candidate uh, for Stoke on Trent North. But, so when you walk into the room, you know Stoke a little bit because you've been there. I know some of the people around the there's table. There's three yeah. of you, though. There's nine people. This is this is local politics in action. Nine people Have in selected a their Conservative Party candidate, yes. Are going to select the local candidate for the Conservative Who Party. Who could well become the MP, yes. And so did you... I think ha- Ben Bradley had one at his selection in Mansfield in 2017. I'm pretty sure he had one. Did you know? Do you think the other two had a chance? Or do you think oh, I'm, I'm on here? Like I, I know these. I've got a good reputation. Or do I you think this so could go any? Nine people. You, both the people who change. were in the fi- in the final, I hadn't seen on the election campaign, so I felt like I was clearly therefore the more visible. One did live in neighbouring Cheshire, so I, so there was an idea he'd have good local knowledge. I was quietly confident, but I was so worried about getting my hopes up that 
I just sort of 2017 taught me so much. Yeah. <laughs> so I just uh I just played it safe and just thought best to not get overly just do your best. Just do your best and and show the professions. If I I thought they know me well, it feels like they want me, but if I come in any sense of cockiness or arrogance, that's it. So I sh- I threw everything at that to show the seriousness that of how much I wanted that seat. Mm. And I think and I think that's what got me over the line. And so you're select. You're now. I'm led to it. believe it was unanimous. I'm led didn't to they, didn't I, they give you the numbers? You're not meant to. Ah, I didn't but, know. But that. I was. I was. I was. Because I've definitely heard people say, "Oh, I only got three. Or it is not meant to be. You're not supposed to know. You're not that. supposed to know. But I, I was told I got all nine votes. Okay. So that's my own ego. Sorry, listeners. That's a, a source says. A source says. Yeah. Well, we know how reliable sources are. You know best than some. I don't speak to journalists. I wouldn't know what you're saying. So you're now the official candidate for the Conservative Party for Stoke-on-Trent North. We don't really know... Kids Grove and Talk. Kids Grove and Talk, sorry. I do apologise. We don't really know when the election's going to be at this point, or we do? Have right? no idea. No Have idea. no idea. We know it's really tumultuous in Parliament. I, I, I can't remember whereabouts we are with the leadership, whether May. still Tell me there. when you're selected. Uh, June, uh, June, July um, of... The 2019. Oh, okay. So, okay, we're, we're pretty close. So... So, oh yeah, so well, obviously I'm, I'm selected and I'm told that Stoke-on-Trent Pride is on. So the very first thing I do is go to Pride and I get my, uh, I go around and meet the Staffordshire Police Cadets and get, get my visible. photo. Get visible, get some photos to get, and then we go out and do a session of leafleting in Milton afterwards. So straight on the campaign trail from the very get-go. But you're thinking, you don't know there's an election coming as soon as it turned out there was. Absolutely not. No, in my head, I'm still thinking it's 2022. Okay. I, I just have them. It's safer to have that mentality. It's 2022. And if it happens early, it happens early. But let's just be mentally prepared for 22. But you flick on Sky News, BBC News, other new, talk, GB, whatever you want. P- take your pick nowadays. You flick on the news. The lectern's there. Theresa May says, I had a bash. It's not really worked out. I'm off. We have a leadership election. Boris comes in and he says... Yeah, but yeah so I've had to... So one of the first questions I get, obviously, as a candidate from the local paper is like, who are you backing? In the leadership. In the leadership. And what did you say? Boris Johnson. Not Dominic Robb. Well, you I weren't did... ready for Robb. Yes, I was on the. <laughs> Sorry, I was ready for Robb. I was actually on the campaign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. Yeah, the team called. You, I only right? had five hours sleep last night, everyone. So I apologise for this. The team called me up and asked me to join the Ready for Robb, having been lobbied by a team. Well, by another colleague. I don't think who actually ran the end, so I won't, I won't say that. Well, you can tell me off air. I'll tell you off air, but having been lobbied by their perspective campaign team okay, and saying that they... Uh, actually, no, they did announce. They did announce. James Cleverley. James Cleverley. I was, gonna, I was about to say, I bet it's James Cleverley. It was James Cleverley's team. And then um, I had said that I would be willing to help out because look, I was a nobody and someone to reach out to me I thought was quite cool and I thought it'd be an interesting experience. But then Nadim called me up and said, I've mentored you. I'm backing Dominic Robb. So, so will you. Get on board. And I went... Yes, Nadine. He's a very persuasive man. And actually, I met Dom, and Dom was great. I can't say highly speak highly enough of what Dom was like as an individual to work with at that time. I was nowhere near the level you were. I was just a sort of backroom nobody. But the fact I got this beautiful handwritten letter to thank for my efforts in that campaign was great fun. So yes, we we were ready for our. So after Dom uh, fell out uh, of the campaign. I just kept quiet because I just thought it looks messy if you jump from candidate to candidate. But I was pretty sure there was only a pretty. It's pretty obvious there was who the final two were going to be, and that was pretty obvious. It was pretty obvious who the winner was going to be. And it was pretty obvious I was just who the winner was going to be, and it was very ob- very obvious from my seat that there was only one name that people would be interested in. Boris, and that's Boris Johnson. So Boris comes in, 
has the you know basically in the end says we've got to go to has the multiple votes so i remember when we they had votes to try and force an election and they kept getting voted against yeah and so every night i was sitting there going wait is today the day i'm like i've literally got to call work and say i need five more weeks unpaid again because that's the other that's i've got my own personal life i've yeah. got my own i've literally sitting there you're still going, working now right i'm still working as a teacher in birmingham so and in sutton coalfield how often do you have to go to so how you'll select this is someone was talking about this the other day you're selected yeah in a in a realistic seat where they're like moving one of the things they've said to you is are you going to put you back into this so yeah moved in so i've, I've moved up there very start of august i've got my flats i'm out Every other night during the Monday to Friday, then at the weekends, that's just what I'm doing. Whatever. Every weekend, every weekend, door knocking, leafleting, going to events, like turning up at things to get photo opportunities, but also to sort of introduce myself. So yeah, it's just nonstop. It was, it was busy talking to local councillors, getting my head around local issues, researching. One advice was go to cafes and ask cafe owners. So took around a lots of cake, lots <laughs> Different. of cake. A few oat cakes. Absolutely, cheese. I'm a cheese and sausage fan with red sauce, cheese and bacon, mate. Cheese and bacon, I know is the is the go to. So yeah, no, I had um, yeah, I've done all that, and then yeah, and then so I'm watching all these votes, and then eventually Boris Johnson has convinced Jeremy Corbyn, let's go to the country, yeah. let's settle this once and for all. So we're on. We've got all that stuff going up there, but you're in Stoke, and now I'm like, right, I call up the school and go, yeah. So as per our contractual agreement. I'm off for five weeks. When you say you're off for five weeks, you don't get paid. I'm not getting paid. No so, one pay, Tory party doesn't pay you. No, school doesn't no one pay you. Me. No one pays me. All my savings get used. Okay. I literally use. I've and saved this is the up. Time. I've saved up from 2017, 2019 to for the moments like this. So this is the second time I've used all my savings, um, or a large chunk of them anyway. I have to work one more week because they had to find someone to uh, cover my timetable. So that was quite stressful because you want to be a good teacher, but you're you're mentally thinking right. I'm it's election time. And then, yeah, and then after that, I was it, five weeks. And every day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., because it gets very dark in December, it's very cold, and people do not want to open their door in the middle of a, a rainstorm or snowstorm. So, and I remember hands just, I was doing about 30,000 steps a day wow. from my uh, 30, 35,000 steps a day. So, yeah, it was tough. But, yeah, we're just in the zone. And having been there through 2017 and felt a campaign that was great at the start and see it seep away mm. bit by bit, I was just petrified for the first TV debate. I was petrified for the launch of the manifesto because all of those had been stumbling blocks in 2017. Yeah. And I just, all I wanted, and but Boris does what Boris does. He knows how to campaign and it just felt good on doorsteps. But because of 17, I refused any stage to let myself think this is definitely going to happen until polling day. Mm. So you, you get to polling day. If it, an observer on that election would have said, by polling day, I think the Tories are on. They're going to get some kind of majority here. That's, that's I think the polling suggested that. That's where the feeling of the country is. So polling day, you're in Stoke, though. You care about one seat. You know, CCHQ have got, like, are we going to get a majority, et cetera. But, I've had visits. I've had Pretty Patel. We've had Matt Hancock. We've had, you know, a number of high-profile visits. Lots of media attention circulating around Stoke. It's seen as a bellwether seat. You've got neighbouring Newcastle to Lyme, another bellwether. Stoke South. Where Jack, Aaron is now. Where Aaron Bell is, sorry, Newcastle Lyme. Just Jack Barrison had a 600 majority in 2017. Right. When he got elected, he was a shock win in 2017, again. So it was like, can you hold that as well? Our federation was trying to split its resources um, between Stoke South and Stoke North. And then obviously Stoke Central at the last minute was told it was a target as well. So then suddenly we were trying to flood it with some leaflets there. So it was just, it was just 
crazy because the polling, yeah, said, but I refused. So just to, to say we'd got this in the bag. Cent- Stoke Central, Stoke North are currently Labour. Currently Labour, as is Newcastle and Delime. As is Newcastle. And so Joe Gideon's in Central, you're in North. Jack is what is his? He's Stoke South. Stoke South. But he is a 600 majority. And Corbyn's visited his patch. Like this is like they they've thrown the kitchen sink. But this it. is what we now all call the red wall quite yeah. constantly, and most people are quite familiar with that term. This is it in a microcosm, right? Stoke is is Stoke and Newcastle, absolutely. You know, it's not I you know, I'm from there. It's left behind in many ways. Moreland's used to be strong Labour seat. Obviously, over time has built up to becoming conservative. Like the North Staffordshire is an absolute bellwether. Absolute bellwether. And I personally I think it will be at the next election. And so you're on the day. Everything's going the way it is nationally, but you know, for you guys in Stoke, you care about North, Central, South, etc. You know these specific seats. What is your? Do you think come tomorrow morning, I'm going to be an MP? It was about two p.m. on polling day. Was the first time I looked at my team of volunteers, all seven of us at the time, and said, "I think we've won." But now it's about trying to get the majority as big as it can be in order to make this as hard as it can be for Labour to try and win it back after. So tell me at this point, what is, we'll get to your actual job today, what is your dream scenario of this is, if we get this as a majority, we flip, we turn it Tory and we get X, that's amazing. 1,500. 1,500. 1,500. That's your dream at that point. I thought, I thought a seat that's never voted Conservative since its creation has never had a Conservative-led council until 2019. A seat like that, yes, might flip, but it's never going to flip convincingly. Right. So I was, in my head, 1,500 was a good, strong number. So now you go to the count, you get a feeling at the count where things are going, right? Well, you've seen, I'm back I'm in my flat and we've had the exit poll. And the uh, obviously the exit poll just shows a huge Tory majority. Mm. I remember like hearing the screaming because I'm in the shower, getting showered. I couldn't watch the telly. And a good friend of mine called Luke was so excited he just starts banging the door shouting yes and I suddenly ran out the bathroom I did get a towel on in time good. I think that's good for everyone to know but especially good for Luke uh, and uh, and there's Nikita my partner and we're just all going we're all celebrating and then I suddenly get a call going where are you they've started counting votes so I'm dashing to Fenton Manor Sports Centre and yeah the mood is up and the belief is that we've won and let's see what it is but then we're nerds, so we're straight on the clipboard, standing in front of the people counting the votes, and they've got the bits of paper, so they're checking at this stage, have we got the amount of votes in the box that the people at the polling station told us they should be? Yeah. And at this stage, they're unfolding every vote, and you you can see, therefore, where people have put their mark, hmm. and you're tallying off as quickly as you can, so we can input something into a special spreadsheet that spits out a number that says so you've that, won or lost. Where's that telling you are? So that number suggests, our number suggests between the 1,500 and 2,000. So now you're thinking, this is this the first time you think, oh yeah, this... This is the first time I'm told by someone, you need to start preparing an acceptance speech. Right. And I hadn't even thought of that. So I'm suddenly at the back of hidden in the gents lose, trying to bullet point down with a guy called Joe Rich, some key things, key people I need to thank, et cetera, like that. I then come back out, Ruth, my opponent at the time, Ruth Smith, who's now Baroness Anderson, uh, comes up to me and says straight away, before even speaking to her team, oh, congratulations, you've won. I said, well, it's too late to say that. Mm. She went, no, no, you've won by about 3,000. So Labour in their heads, and now I know Labour think we've won by three. Yeah. And then after the votes are counted, then once they've done the verifying of the votes, they start putting them into the piles. It's very visibly clear that I've won. 
Right. So now I'm just rehearsing the acceptance speech in the head. And then you get the announcement, can all candidates and agents for Stoke-on-Trent North please come over to the table with the election officer, returning officer. And what happens then? Everyone swarms. Everyone's trying to listen in. It's only meant to be candidates and agents, but you always get stragglers. Loads of people are working out what's going on. And they physically announce verbally, these are the votes in the alphabetical order of surname. And then they say how many votes were spoiled, and then they make it clear whether or not they think this is within the margin for someone to contest whether it needs to be recounted or votes checked. And that's the moment I hear it's 6,286 is the majority. Once wow. we once we join down the numbers, we very quickly get the calculator out. Just to well, How did you feel then? That blew my mind. Because in my head at the time, I'm thinking, I've probably got two terms here. Yeah. And that's just crazy. Because I never thought, that could happen, that majority could happen. But of course, we're told this result's not to be announced. So everyone in the room knows the result. Yeah. All the journalists know the result, but no one legally can announce it because if they do, that is, you're literally, it's against the law. Yeah. So every journalist starts going, oh, we think. Yeah. It looks, there is chatter that they, it looks the Conservatives could have picked up Stoke on Trent North. The BBC understands. Yeah. So you get all that stuff. And then, uh, obviously, what they did, though, with Stoke is they wanted to announce all three seats at the same time. And because Stoke Central ended up being a conservative game, but by 600, it was such a tight count mm. that that just delayed it. So I knew for about two hours before they announced their results officially, which was actually quite useful because you kind of get the adrenaline rush, but you also get to bring that calmness because you're about to say something quite, you know, you're about to make a big speech. Mm. It's your first introduction to the electorate and you're going to be interviewed by TV, local radio, and you're rehearsing, like, what's the right thing to say? Although I did say, oh, I'm going to work my bum off. Yeah. Uh, which my mum wasn't very happy that that was... Mum said you could have come up with something a bit more classy than that. She's probably right. So, I mean, I'm sure you would have probably not advised me, James, to say, I'll work my bum off. You just no. Do you, there's a bit... So you you fought these couple of elections. You fought and won in the past. Ruth, she's from the she's Labour Party. 15, she's running 15 and uh, as the candidate for Stoke North and won. Yeah. Ran in 17. And despite the fact that was a seat that was expected to flip, obviously holding it with about two and a half thousand majority. So she's won that seat twice. You must, there must be a bit of you that feel like, even though you're from different parties, you yeah, know, feel, you everyone's worked as hard as each other, right? On those absolutely. Campaigns. No, you totally feel. And actually, I think it's very cordial in those moments. Look, Ruth, I remember Ruth being very angry with Jeremy Corbyn and understandably so. She suffered some horrific, the horrific anti-Semitic abuse mm. that she got. And the Labour Party at that time did absolutely nothing. And she's been very vocal about that. Um, but yeah, look, she's she's living there. Her kids are living there. She's got her lot, her entire life is there. And she has worked hard on certain things like holiday activity food programs. She did a lot of work locally and nationally on that type of idea. So totally get the pain because it does it does feel personal. Hmm. You know, you feel like you've thrown everything at it and you've not been people haven't given you the benefit of the doubt, or they've not looked past the leader. They've just you know, they've 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 not looked at you specifically and gone, oh well, I know Labour nationally, but actually locally, Ruth's good at this and that. So I totally get it. So look, she's very cordial. You're on stage, you're told not to smile, but you're told not to look sad depending on your result. You're told to have a neutral face. Mm. Ruth came up to me and said, Congratulations, straight away shook hands. And yeah, like we I I've you know, I can't I won't speak ill of her. Mm. I, and I feel for her and I dread being on the receiving end. And I hope I can do it with the same dignity that she did had at the time with mm. me. If I was to lose, obviously, in the next election. Let's hope not. For the people of Stoke. 
I'm sure the people as too will express their opinions. <laughs> I think they will. And I think as usual, they'll do it very directly. So you're there, you become an MP now. Like, I'm curious. I've seen people go on the stage. I've seen it on TV. I've been to one count. They say, this is the, you, you know, you're an MP for the first time. How do you then know what to do? Like, do they tell you where to go? We've got our results around 4 or 5 a.m. And as I've come off the stage, one of the officers from the council has come up to me and given me this brown envelope. And inside the brown envelope... I won't make a joke about that. <laughs> inside the brown envelope is uh, a letter from the Houses of Parliament congratulating you, welcoming you, a booklet with guidelines, uh, the rules for members of Parliament, um, which, of course, we all read straight away. Uh, and and that is, is you know, it, you know we should have that book attached to us at all times. It details about... You're going to come down to Parliament for new MPs between these dates. Uh, this number will call you. If you don't pick up, call it back here. And we'll sort out travel and accommodation for these days. And you're sort of reading it and trying to digest it. But I had it in my contract. I'd have to still work the last day. So we're at 4 or 5 a.m. on the Friday morning. And Nikita's working at the same school I'm working at. So we have to drive down to Birmingham. And we have a quick nap in the car. And uh, we um, we we go into work now. I say work because Nikita will kill me. <laughs> the supply teacher, who's now taking on my role permanently, takes all the lessons. I'm basically just packing up my stuff. Nikita actually is having to pack. Is actually having to teach and a full day of teaching and has had no sleep for 24 hours at this stage. This is where we rewind and where the advice that James Brickenshire gave you comes in. Had you really prepared your partner for this? Not the tiredness that day, because I think we all thought, once we knew the result around three, we thought we were going to get told and we'd get nip home and get two, three hours kip and then go to work. Mm. Because we had to wait till four or five. By the time that was done, and I'd done the media round uh, locally, I was like, well, we might as well just go straight to Birmingham because it's gonna that's the time we'd normally leave anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember BBC Midlands today coming in to film me because it was you know a teacher going back into work the next day. We found this empty classroom and I spent half an hour handing out books at tables to an empty classroom, but being filmed from different angles, which was me hard at work on my final day of teaching. And then, yeah, and, and then I've gone home with Nikita. We've gone to bed and we've slept for 14 hours. And it's when I wake up and I see over 150 WhatsApp messages my phone is pinging. But You're in the groups. Are you get, do you get added to all the I've groups? I've woken up. I'm in the Conservative the MP MPs WhatsApp group, the Holy Grail. That's official. The the thing that what could be more official the, than being the in a thing, WhatsApp group. The thing that you know is so openly uh, shared uh, on uh, you know nothing that you, I mean the whole public knows what's in that group because it's regularly uh, shared anyway by journalists who somehow get hold of it. Um, but yeah, I'm in the group. You've had text message from Boris Johnson congratulating you on your victory and looking forward directly. to meeting you directly. And you're like, this is absolutely mental uh therese coffee added me to the uh whatsapp group big shout out to therese uh for for doing that thank you because there was a limit at that time how many people so not everyone from the 2019 intake got in the group aaron bell didn't make the cut he had to go into a, a conservative mps2 group second group which no one no one wants to be in that group everyone wants to be in the main one of course so uh but now obviously thanks to whatsapp for expanding its uh, uh membership and uh, so everyone now in the parliamentary party can be be part of the happy family. There's no second class citizens in the toy party anymore. No, we're all one big happy family now in the same WhatsApp group. I keep reading about it. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Uh, I, I mean, yes, someone did tell me very quickly, if whatever you write in that group, be happy to see it in the national newspaper, mm. um, which has been good advice for me. So 
uh, yeah, in the WhatsApp groups, I've had numerous missed calls from journalists who somehow have got my number. Like, you know, like journalists I've only ever watched on telly. I don't know how they got. Someone's obviously shared it. Um, so you're like, great. Now I'm just sort of like cannon fodder for the media. Uh, in your head, you're panicking about it. Then you've had all the missed calls from Parliament going, we're trying to organise your travel. So quickly call on a Saturday, get my tr- get, get the ticket to London on the Sunday, uh, get the uh, hotel, which is the standard one used by many MPs nearby uh, Westminster, and then yeah, get the then I'm packing a bag and I'm actually I did. A, did I get a new suit? No, I didn't. But my mum, my mum definitely got me a new suit. Does your mum still buy your suits? My mum does still buy a lot of my suits for me. M and S, so always very nice. She's very good. Uh, God bless her. Um, and mum, if you're listening, I wouldn't mind. I could do probably with a new suit. <laughs> you can't use this to pitch for new suits. Just to be clear, that's we just need to take that out. <laughs> so we, uh, so yeah, no, I go down to London, and I remember we're told go into Portcullis House. And for the first time in my life, I'm not walking in having to go through security. I'm walking in. And what amazed me is how many the doorkeepers knew who I was. Because during that election, unlike in 17, I got an email from Parliament saying, here's a form. We just need a photo of you, your name, and some basic details. And clearly what they were doing is looking at marginal seats and collating all the candidates of who's likely to win. And the doorkeepers spend their time memorizing the faces and the names. It's just incredible. And so I remember walking in, get shown up to the committee rooms upstairs uh, on the on the first floor and you go into the first one, you meet with Ipsa, who obviously oversee MPs' pay and their staff's pay and their expenses and they give you their massive rule book and uh, the limits on what you can and can't do. They're just throwing jargon at me because to me, I've never run anything in my life. I've, I've been an employee of a company, not an employer. Hmm. Um, so that's all. And then obviously the most important bit is, uh, oh, can you put your details in here so we can pay you? Yeah, because so, you haven't been paid for five weeks. I haven't been paid five weeks. I can read too with a pay packet. So yeah, input my details. Then you go next door to digital. Here's your email account. Here's your address, login details. Oh, and uh, we've got a budget for you for your IT, but we've already purchased you a laptop. Uh, an iPad and a nice big backpack that uh, screens uh, freshmen. So that was useful. And then you go into um, HR and just sort of, they just introduce a few things, say we're here to support you. And then you're with the doorkeeper. And mine was Paul, who's still there today. Paul's a great guy. Had a great beard recently. He shaved it off. He needs to bring back the beard. Um, He normally sits behind the speaker's chair is where his position is. Sort of in the space that goes least towards the prime minister's office, actually, and where the chancellor's office are in Westminster. So he must see, or he must see who's in and out of those rooms, the doorkeepers, and we need to get them on an episode to know everything. I don't think they ever speak. Let's see. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can twist some arms because well, the doorkeeper. Everyone knows the doorkeepers are the. They know everything. They know everything. They're the source. If you want, if you, just so I know, we're digressing quickly, but like for example, if you want to, the whips will tell you there's like ten votes. The doorkeepers will tell you how many votes there actually are. Really. The whips like to keep everyone in the estate, you see. But the doorkeepers mm. go, oh, I've got a toll 10. They'll go, it's probably six. Really? You're like, oh, okay. Because obviously opposition parties will talk in advance about mm. where they're going to divide and they hear the whispers. They've got the, the 360. They've got the 360. Anyway, I've done the tour of parliament and we walk into the House of Commons chamber, the big moment. And I've been on there. I've been to visit there so many times on school trips and my own trips. And I'm just standing there and I'm quite emotional. I'm taking it all in. Like for me, it's a big moment. For me, I'm feeling the weight of like, the gutless family name, as it were, like cementing something I never thought I'd be able to for my family's legacy, for all the hard work that my parents sacrificed in order to give me every opportunity to be in, even in a place like that. And I remember just staring, Paul goes, you can sit down if you want. 
Okay. And obviously, as you know, I know, James, mm. you're, you're not allowed to sit down if you're a visitor. And I just sit in that seat. I sit on the front row, probably where Eddie Hughes sits, sits now, and just took five minutes in silence. Well, what were you thinking at that point? Just looking around the room, going, just taking in the architecture, taking in the, what the atmosphere will be like, thinking about when I make my first speech, thinking about the fact that there's a lot of TV cameras and when you speak in this place, you're, you know, as I know, because I'm regularly clipped and put on uh, Twitter in particular, um, you know, knowing that the, the weight of that expectation is quite big. And actually also remembering, again, how small it is, how close you are to each other. So, yeah, I'm just taking it all in and then I'm up to committee room 14 where they've set up like a hot desking and I'm just basically plugging in a laptop and I'm logging on and there's a ton of emails from... Waiting for you. Waiting for me. Loads of HR and admin ones, some from the whips because the whips at this stage then for our party and a Labour party, every party does the same, has like a programme of, of a shed, you know, program of introducing you to parliament and obviously there was over a hundred of us in the 2019 intake so a third, around a third of the parliamentary party is brand new so it's a mm. big deal this but of course there's constituency mailing in because they don't care that you're brand new they don't care that you haven't got staff or a system well, we, we haven't stopped potholes because there's been an election right? no and, and by the way that's not that's absolutely right mm. that that should happen but then suddenly you're like well who do i write to <laughs> if i want to write to this minister how do I write to them? And then I'm learning about, you've, there's certain letters you have to format them in a certain way. There's certain email addresses you have to use. You can't just go to this directly, otherwise the civil service will say you're circumventing the system. Mm. You're, so you're then relying a lot on older colleagues who've been around for a lot longer to guide you on that. And then you get then you get those 2019ers. And I'm sounding a bit grumpy here because of our good friend, Saki Bati, mm. who inherited the conservative seat of Meriden and of course, when he wins, the first thing he would do, like every other colleague does, is they just keep the staff like on a certain end of contract to see how it works out. But they keep the existing the staff hired by the former Conservative MP, which meant someone like Saqib's walking around the building, his case work's being dealt with, he's got a team who know exactly what they're doing, they've got the IT system set up, the office is already there, and I'm looking at him and he just looks so relaxed. And I'll never forgive him for it. Because I'm just absolutely sweating buckets every single day trying to figure out who to hire, What? how do I advertise for it, what's the pay bans, I need an office, where am I going to find an office, how do you do a deal on this? And obviously you're told you need to do a deal with your offices on any accommodation that you rent that says that if there's an election and you lose, you only you can break the contract after two months after that because if you don't, you're personally liable. So I'm suddenly told that if I rent somewhere in London and I don't have that clause, I'm picking up the bill and I'm paying for an office as well. We're talking tens of thousands of pounds. Hmm. So you're trying to figure out all that. You're, you know, it's just crazy. That was the hardest thing because you're in these meetings, the whips are doing the training program, how to behave, you know, what to do, what a three-line whip means, what a one-line whip means, select committees. And by the way, with select committees, you're already instantly being lobbied by colleagues on both the Labour benches and the Conservative benches to become chair of the select committee. Then there'll be elections again for the members of the select committee. So you're being asked, do you want to run? Are you not going to run? It's just, I've got, because I'm a teacher, I've got loads of teaching magazines and newspapers saying you must be running. So it's just, you've had an election, you've got more elections internally, you've got all this to sort out. It's just chaos. It's the hard, it is, it, I cannot tell you how hard that first six months is hmm. to get your feet under the ground and to get systems in place. And and it probably actually took me two years until I got like a, a system, a flowing system that I think works well, well for my team. It's been fascinating to hear your journey of that whole 
you know, how you got into politics, why you got into politics and what it's really like to become an MP and how, you know, all the ins and outs and the ups and downs of that. And at the end, I think you've touched on some of the things that we're hopefully going to go on to explore in future episodes, select committees, whipping. What we want to look at as a podcast is how does Whitehall really work? What's it like inside Whitehall? Thank you for listening to Inside Whitehall. Uh, If you've enjoyed what you've heard, follow us or subscribe to us. If you want to leave us a review, you can do that. And you can follow us on Twitter at WhitehallPodUK. And we'll see you soon.